We're back again. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I'm Josh, and we we are here to give you episode nine in the House of the Dragon series here today. Last week went through episode eight. I took us through that one. Chase is going to guide us here through episode nine. Really big stuff ahead. This is where the greens come into play. We get to see some things that they've been you know plotting in the background, and you know to give you a quick little recap of where we left off episode eight last week. It was really where Viserys, and Chase made a good point about this with the captions. It said breathing stopped at the very end of the episode, so we can infer that Viserys is no longer with us. But during the last conversation he had with Alicent, Viserys thought he was speaking to Rhaenyra and discussing Aegon the Conqueror and his dream and the Song of Ice and Fire. Alicent took that as, oh, Aegon, our son, you want him to be king? Cool. And that's kind of where we left off, and now we are preparing for a life without Viserys and I'll go ahead before we get started on the episode. Like I said, Chase is going to guys this one. I'll turn it over to Chase to say a few words, and then we'll get after it. Yeah, if you guys remember this little phrase from this season, we got a lot of Trixie and False on the episode today. <laughs> a lot of Trixie and False, my friends. But uh, a lot of good stuff today. Um, this is really, you know, this episode and next episode, these are the peak climax. Uh, Jay Nelly and I were talking earlier before the show, you know, this really is the green's peak. And then next week, Jay Nelly is going to take the big one with the peak of uh, the Black Queen uh, to be coming, foreshadowing there. <laughs> so uh, it's going to be good stuff, man. We got a lot of good detail today. Let's get a mouse in the chalice. Let's get it going, brother. Sounds good. Cheers, my man. Cheers, brother. All right. Go ahead and guide us through this bad boy. Okay. So we start out, Alicent is reformed by informed by Talia that Viserys is dead. Uh, Alicent informs, of course, who else would she inform? Otto Hightower immediately. Otto asks, who knows? And Alicent says, only Talia. Alicent then informs Otto that in Viserys' own words... That he wished Aegon to be king. And then I'm going to turn it over to Jay Nelly because this is a really good part. For sure. So in this small council meeting, we've got a few characters. And not the least of them is our old pal Jason Lannister, always stirring the pot. So right, you can obviously tell if there's a small council meeting being held at a really strange hour, it's probably pretty fucking important, right? Well, apparently, according to Jason Lannister, this is what he says. He goes, What is it that could not have waited an hour? Was Dorne invaded? And Otto looks at him dead in the face and said, The king is dead. So, at that point, Otto tells him that with his last breath, Viserys impressed upon the queen his final wish, which was that his son Aegon should succeed him as Lord of the Seven Kingdoms. And this is where Jason Lannister comes into play again. He says, then we may proceed now with the full assurance of his blessing on our long-laid plans. And Otto replies, yes, there is much to be done, as we previously discussed. And so let's talk about that for a little bit, man. Let's talk about where do you thought that the inception of these long-laid plans happened. So I know that you know when you were talking with me, you thought maybe from way, way back, and I'm thinking, who knows, maybe it could be a little bit in the middle. Tell them a little bit about what your thoughts are on where these plans really started to take fruit. In my opinion, they started... Uh, so, I want to make this clear. 
I don't think exact chess pieces removed during this time, but I do think the thoughts were implanted on Aegon's second name day, is my thought. Maybe not necessarily exactly with Otto Hightower, but at least the council um, members at this current time. And the reason I say that is because based on what Jason Lannister said to Viserys, so the thought had to be there. But my uh, thought on when chess pieces would be starting to really be escalated and moved across the board here would be when Otto was made back hand of the king after the Harwin, uh, Harwin Strong and his father died in that fire tragically, uh, which planned in my opinion. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's my thought here. Uh, what about you? See, for me, because the small council has changed so much, right? Lionel Strong, you just mentioned him. He was handing the king back, you know, after they had that first rift and he, dis King Viserys, dismissed Otto Hightower. And then the Grand Maester was different. Then, you know, he ended up passing away to where the Grand Maester is here now. And Lord Corlys was not in the small council here at this point as he was back then. And so just there's so many moving pieces, it's hard to figure out. And we're just about to find out something, too, where at least one of these council members had no idea what was going on. So it's, just, it's hard to tell where this started to really take root. I think my best educated guess is that it happened somewhere in between the six-year gap between Episode 7 and Episode 8. I think that when Viserys' health started failing and it became obvious that he was not going to recover... And that was only going to get worse, and it was going the, the disease was going to claim his life. I think at that point in time, that's when more serious talks were had. That's when this small council where it's at right now was put together because it's closer in the time period. And I'm assuming they've had to have replaced people and brought them all together as you know, what flies have dropped, so to speak. So uh, I think that's where the big the big hush hush whisper whispers started taking place and. These plans that Jason Lancer mentioned, these long-laid plans that they're going to proceed with, uh, it's been going on. I think the real inception was that six-year gap. And we see actually there's two people that had no idea that these plans were being made, and one of them's on their side, so to speak. And, you know, and just to kind of go through that, I want to take this next part and talk a little bit about the the two people who had no idea about these, these plans. So... Uh, when Otto Hightower goes into a head count of where things stand, he mentions there's two captains of the city watch that are loyal to Damon and that they need to replace them. And he also tells them to send Ravens to Riverrun and Highgarden. And that's when Alicent interrupts and asks if she's to understand that the members of the small council have been planning secretly to install her son without her. Which obviously, yes, they were, but that right there leads us to believe Alicent, one of the biggest key pieces in this whole ordeal, had no clue that this is what the small council was doing for some time. And that's one of them. And that's, you know, that's already pretty surprising as it is. Now, the second person, well, he's got something to say about it. And so, uh, Lyman Beesbury, he speaks up and he says, I will not have this. To hear that you are plotting to replace the king's chosen heir with an imposter? And Jason Lannister interrupts him and says, the firstborn son is hardly an imposter. To which Lyman Beesbury replies, hundreds of lords and landed knights swore fealty to the princess. And Jason Lannister responds, that was some 20 years ago, most of them now dead. And this is where Jasper Wilde cuts in and says, plot or no, the king changed his mind. And Lyman Beesbury continues on, he says, I am six and 70 years old. 
I have known Viserys longer than any who sit at this table, and I will not believe that he said this on his deathbed alone with only the boy's mother as a witness. This is seizure. It is theft. It is treason. At the least, it is... And then the Grand Maester cuts him off. Mind your tongue, Lyman. And Lyman says, The king was well last night, by all accounts. Which of you here can swear that he died of his own accord? And this is an interesting place to stop. Because I, I think this is a cool little game here. of uh, He is accusing without accusing them of basically having the king killed. You know, and, and, and I don't know, Chase, who do you think? Do you think he's he's accusing Allison because she was with the king? Is he accusing the entirety of the council for plotting against him? What do you think is going on here? I think it's both. I think he, in a way, he is directly accusing Allison because, remember, he said, and you were the only one in his chambers <laughs> that night. But at the same time, um, you know, all these council members are plotting their own plans and Allison didn't even, you know, and he wasn't a part of it and he's part of the council. So I think he thinks that Allison killed the series, murdered him, but then the council already had plans in place for how to replace him upon, uh, you know, him being killed. And that would make sure Rhaenyra wouldn't be, wouldn't be the successor. So that's my thoughts on that. What about you? Yeah, I think I think he basically says he doesn't give a fuck who it was. He just knows there's something fishy going on because he's the well, outside of Allison. He's the only person at this damn council that was not informed on what was happening. Everyone else seemed to be not in shocked in the least bit with the plans. Like, yeah, all right, let's put these plans on the table, right? <laughs> so it, it, to me, it's it, he he doesn't care if it was Allison that murdered the king or if all these small council members conspired against him in his mind this is this is wrong and something like there is treason here he shouted it out at them and you know the grand maester tries to calm him down but you know he's a i'll say in the words of jojo the singer she says too little too late <laughs> and then i'll go ahead and I'll, I'll turn over to chase and he'll tell you what happens here in this moment with mr beesbury yeah so at this moment uh you know i have it uh at this moment so jasper wilde says which of us are you accusing regicide lord beadsbury and he says whether it was one of you or all of you i care not i will not have part and sir Kristen cole smashes his head on the table and he's bleeding out on the table as the blood runs all the way to the top and then sir harold uh this is a Sir Hill's a good man. He stands up to this motherfucker. You want me to say motherfucker to you? <laughs> That's basically what he said. Sir Harold says, throw down your sword and move your cloak, Sir Kristen. I am your Lord Commander, Sir Kristen. Cast down your sword. And Kristen and Harold both draw swords at each other, and you're about to think shit's going down. Uh, and Kristen Cole says, I will not suffer insults to her grave the queen, her grace the queen. And Allison says there were no insults to me, Sir Kristen. Put aside your blade. And then they put the swords away. And Sir Harold, he says, has it come to this? And Otto's like, Lord Commander, enough. And, you know, Oral says, let us have Lord Beesbury removed. And Otto says, no, the door remains shut until we finish our business. Can you imagine that? Having a council with a dead person and the dead, the smashed skull is just on the table in front of you. 
yeah, it's kind of fucked up. And what's crazy, too, is when Chris and Cole grabbed him, I think he did it in a moment of anger. I don't think he actually intended on killing uh, Lyman Beesbury, but when he smashed his head home to sit down and smashed it on the table, if you guys look closely, they have these weird little circles with marble balls inside the circle, and he smashed his head on top of the ball. It was kind of kind of gross, but you know, to answer your question, yeah, it'd be kind of disturbing to sit here and have a serious conversation about the future of the realm when there's a dead guy bleeding out, blood pouring down the table, and he's just sitting there with his eyes open staring at you, you know, even though he's, he's, he's no longer part of this physical world. Yeah, it'll be a little unsettling. Definitely. It, it's fucked up. What was that ball? Do you have any idea what those are for? I don't, and we probably should take a look into that at some point, but it just looked like some level of marble ball because they would roll them to each other as they, as they sat down. I, I, the best yeah. I could guess is they signify their station, like the Master of Law, Master of Coin, Master of Ships, Grand Maester, those kind of things, but maybe different yeah. color, different colors for different stations. I'm not sure, but yeah, be worth looking into for sure. Yeah, I'll have to... Try to look into that. Maybe make an interesting facts on that one. <laughs> Put it on our social media. Anyways, uh, so Jason Lannister says Storm's End is a concern. And they want to win over the Lord uh, Lord Boris, uh, the loyalty of him. And they're traditionally loyal to Rhaenyra, though, in that side. Uh, but Lord Boris has four daughters, and they're all unmarried. So keep that in mind. Then Allison asks, what will happen to Rhaenyra? And Otto says she and her family will be given the opportunity to swear loyalty to Aegon. Allison, she will never bend the knee, nor will Damon. You know, you plan to kill them and all here accede to this. Oral, your father is correct, your grace. A living challenger invites battle and bloodshed. Otto, it is an unsavory yes, but a sacrifice we must make to secure Aegon's succession. And then there is Damon to consider. The king wouldn't wish for an unsavory Allison. But the king did not wish for the murder of his daughter. He loved her, and I will not have you deny this. And yet, one more word, and I will have you removed from the chamber and sent to the wall. Badass. Uh, I got to give Allison credit here, because I got a question for you. Do you think Allison, this kind of goes into last week, do you think she really believes what she heard? Or do you think there's any malice involved? Because based on this here, it makes me think that she has no malice in this situation. And it was just a case of her hearing what she wanted to hear. She heard the words Aegon and saved the realm and that took it and ran with it, in, in my opinion. <laughs> we did a little bit of a debate about it last week and that's kind of where I, where I stick with. I just think that was a case. And her sitting there saying, right there was a really cool thing by her to say, you know, he loved his daughter. I will not have you deny this. You know, kind of defending the memory of the king and then even threatening Jasper Wilde with the wall if he wouldn't shut his fucking mouth. So I thought that was pretty cool too. So, you know, she's got a decent level of character. She's just a, a scared mother and she's found herself in a predicament she probably wasn't prepared for. And, you know, because the thing is, is that what she did do that was not entirely correct is she mentioned that the king told her that he wanted Aegon to succeed him, which isn't true. You know, even with the misinterpretation, there's no way you can misinterpret that whole dialogue when not one part of that said Aegon be king at all. None, none of that was in there. It's like, so the, the closest it got was like, it's up to you. 
uh, to unite the realm, you know? And so she took that as, well, the only way I know how to unite the realm is Aegon's gotta be king, baby! Alright! So, that, that's all I got, man. That's all I got. Yeah, no, I agree, man. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. Uh, so, Jason Lannister says, what do you suggest, Your Grace? Otto says, time is of the essence, Lord Commander Westerling. Take your knights to Dragonstone and be quick and be clean. Fucked up. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that, but good for Sir Harold. Harold, he removes his cloak, places it on the table, and says, I am Lord Commander of the King's Guard. I recognize no authority but the King's, and until there is one, I have no place here. And Sir Harold resigns his position. That was badass. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Remember how they said, no one leaves here till our business is finished? Well, ain't no one try to stop that fucker from leaving. <laughs> they did not want any piece of that. He's like, all right, you just go let him let let Sir Harold go. We're just gonna let him go, man. Reminded me a lot of where Barristan Selmy in Game of Thrones, where they dismissed him from the King's Guard, and he said, even now I could cut through all of you like a hot knife through butter, <laughs> and no one stopped him from walking out and keeping his sword. So I don't know, it just was reminiscent of that to me. It was badass. He he ended up walking out after they said no one leaves this room, but ain't no one tried to stop him, including Sir Kristen Cole. So. Uh, that's all I had to say on that. So then Alice and Otto uh, go to Helena and find that Aegon, Aegon isn't in his room. Alice then attempts to tell Helena what has happened, but she interrupts. And Helena says, there is a beast beneath the boards. And we've heard that before. <laughs> so, And then Aemond, of course give a shit about tannies <laughs> he's in the corner of the room like a creep ass but he's there and then Otto asks remember we were talking about the two brothers last week eric and eric so Otto asks sir eric of the king's guard uh, and he says uh he does not know but believes they left the keep secretly and went into the city Otto commands him to take his brother eric with him and find him and remove his white cloak so no one recognizes him. Otto, Otto then tells him not even the queen, Alicent, should know about it. Uh, Rhaenys at this point is locked in her room by people outside, and she looks outside and people are moving through the city. And then back to Alicent, Alicent then asks Kristen Cole to find Aegon. And then this is when Aemond volunteers to go with him in hopes to know where he might be. Uh, and then they both leave. You know Kristen what? Cole. You know what yep. I thought was kind of cool about this little part here is there was a few things. It almost reminded me of the Amazing Race, right? We got in some teams here. <laughs> Otto made sure Sir Eric knew to only bring Aegon to him. You know, to find his other brother, Sir Eric, with the A. So we got Sir Eric with the E. Got Sir Eric with the A. And the 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 Cargill twins are supposed to bring Aegon to Otto Hightower. And then on the other side. His own daughter, the two people you think would be on the same team, his daughter's like, no, Kristen Cole, you're going to bring Aegon to me and me alone. And Aemon's like, well, he's my brother, so I might as well help out here. Uh, so it, it, it's kind of cool. And the second part I thought was kind of interesting is that if you guys look really closely, the way that Kristen Cole and Aemon Targaryen are dressed are very, very similar to back on mm-hmm. episode, I believe it was four, episode... Yep. Three or yeah, four. Episode yeah, episode four. Yeah, episode four where Damon took uh, Rhaenyra into the streets of Silk and was undercover in the certain clothes. Well, the it's interesting because it seems like the one that idolizes the other dressed just like them in in this in this episode. So 
Kristen Cole looks like he dressed very similarly to how Rhaenyra dressed in that earlier episode where she was at the streets of Sick with Damon, and Eamon dressed like how Damon dressed in that episode back with Rhaenyra. So it was really interesting, you know, Eamon dressing like Damon and Kristen Cole dressing like Rhaenyra. Something that it was it was quick and it was easy to miss, but go take a look at that, guys. It's pretty interesting. That was a good point. I saw that too. I just wasn't sure. I, I, that's a very cool point. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, at this point, so then Kristen Cole and Eamon first checked the Street of Silk, because that's where Aegon brought Aemond when he was 13. And very interesting, the woman recognizes Aemond from, I guess, where he saw her when he was 13 and says, oh, how have you, oh, how have you grown? <laughs> but, uh, of course, Aegon isn't there. Classic Aegon. That's where you're going when you turn a teenager. <laughs> but, uh, so at this point, then Otto, back to Otto, he demands the people in the throne room to bend the knee to Aegon, or they will not leave the room. How nice. <laughs> great, great guy. Uh, the ones that do not bend the knee, including are including House Fell, are removed and imprisoned. At this moment, Lord Caswell is the last to bend the knee, and he says, long live the king. It's hmm. interesting, too, because you could see when the camera pans to his face, he looks worried, like he's debating about what he should do, and this is going to play a little bit of a role. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and then Sir Eric and his brother uh, see children are about the age of 10 in fighting pits in the streets of Flea Bottom. This was a wild scene. This uh, reminded me of the fighting pits in Game of Thrones, but with children. What did kind of remind you of this scene? Yeah, it did. It was it was sad. <laughs> didn't didn't love to see that. I don't don't love it, man. Don't love it at all. And uh, there's another one thing I wanted to mention too. When they were back in that room and they were pleading fealty to Aegon or deciding if they were going to get in prison for not breaking the oath to Rhaenyra, you see in the very very background in like the balcony area, uh, Loras Strong is just lurking around and creeping on the proceeding and keeping an eye on everything. And I think that's important because we don't really know his intentions on if he's trying if he. Like, he obviously seems like he's Team Allison from these past episodes, but he has a little bit of a dialogue with Otto in this episode too. And you start wondering, is he just going to play his own role up until he's trusted by both? Or is he playing one against the other? Does he got his own game going on? It's just really interesting. And so I wanted to definitely point out him just lurking in the background during those proceedings. But I'll let you get back to uh, to boy Kristen Cole and... Uh, and or no, I'm sorry, the, the the Cargo Brothers, they're in the little pits there. Yeah, and and remember that too with the children there, because that plays a, a big point. But so then Eric tells his brother Aegon used to spend many nights there, and then this is where, of course, people are making wagers on the children, which is really messed up. Uh, then we see another cutscene over here, back to Lord Caswell, little Trixie and false, <laughs> little Trixie and false here. But uh, Lord Caswell leaves the throne room and gets on a horse. Interesting. Uh, Aemon at this point, so he's with Kristen Cole, and says, Here I am, trawling the city, ever the good soldier, in search of Westrail, who's never taken half an interest in his birthright. Tis I, the younger brother, who studies history, philosophy. It is an I who trains the sword, who rides the largest dragon in the world. It is I who should be, Kristen Cole says. I know what it is to toil for what others are freely given. Amen. And we can't find him, Cole. You are a decent man with no taste for depravity. His secrets are his own, and he's welcome to them. I'm next in line to the throne. 
Should they come looking for me, I intend to be found. What do you think? Do you think Aemon secretly desires power on the throne? I don't think it's a secret. I think it's pretty clear. (laughs) He just told you in his own words right there. That, you know, he said it is I who should be king and it's hard to argue with him we were mentioning this before that even as when the, the actors before they changed to, from like the younger Aemon to the, this Aemon here he seemed to take the role of being a prince much more seriously than Aegon ever did Aegon was always kind of getting drunk and messing around with the girls and just kind of skirting any sort of responsibility remember he had that whole issue with Diana the, the serving girl who uh, you know he, he unfortunately did some poor things to and you know his mom came and slapped him in the face and you know someone son of mine so he the, these are moments that have been leading up i believe that he doesn't he's not necessarily incorrect speaking about Eamon thinking that he himself should be king uh, it's hard to argue he he he's obviously a more accomplished warrior we see him on the training field speeding chris and cole in a spar like you know last episode or two episodes ago whatever it may be and then we have uh, him. He made, made a good point. He rides the largest dragon in existence right now. You know, what's more formidable than uh, the king who has a big, large dragon and the most skilled fighter of the, of the kids, right? It's just, and he learned the histories, as he's mentioned. It's, it's hard to argue his point. Like maybe he should have been the, their option for king. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. And then you have a real big shitstorm if you try to supplant the... Firstborn son with a secondborn son going against a woman. The realm would be all the realm would be all sorts of tizzied up. So I don't blame him for not going this way, but I also don't blame Eamon for feeling the way that he feels here. Yeah, absolutely agree. You don't think he would ever get to the point he would try to like kill his brother, do you? I don't think so. I think yeah. that uh, that's. I think he he does enough family damage. <laughs> I'll say <Exactly>. that. <laughs> absolutely. Okay, so back to where we were. So uh, then Sir Caswell is seen standing in the city, and then we cut back to the Erics. So Sir Eric says, something I don't, must I don't be think done. Uh, Lord Caswell was a knight. I think it was just Lord Caswell, not Sir Caswell. I oh, sorry, Lord, Lord Caswell. Caswell. Yeah. yeah, just Caswell. Um, everyone's Sir in here, so I just plugged in <laughs> Sir, man. Sir Chase. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. So Caswell is just standing in the city. That's the point there. But then Eric... Uh, so he says to Eric, something must be done. Aegon is unfit to rule. And his brother says, you tolerated the princess's proclivities for years, his brother, because it was my sworn loyal duty. It's for the hand to find wisdom. We swore an oath service until death. And then at this moment, we have this girl, Jane, that comes up. And she says, a moment of your time, my lords. And Eric says, you'll find no buyers for your for your wares here. And Jane says, I can take you to Prince Aegon. Rather, I am sent by one who knows where he is, who will tell you a price. Eric, deliver him and we'll consider your price. Jane, my mistress will not treat with the servants of the keep. Exalted, though, they may be. She'll trust this to the hand of the king only. And of course, they're like, what the fuck? Aaron, Eric says, impossible. Jane, I think he will wish to hear what the white worm can tell them. And then Jane pulls away, and then the two brothers follow. Big moment there. Um, so at this moment, to then we cut back to Caswell, and then the gate doors are opening, 
And Caswell is stopped by the guards because clearly he's trying to escape at this moment here. And uh, then we cut back to Lord Larry's. <laughs> Larry's. How nice. Uh, brings him to Otto and Otto questions him. And Otto says, let the king's justice take him. And then Caswell is taken away. Otto, you did well, Lord Larry's. You've spent many hours with the queen of late. How nice. And then Larry says, there is no reason those hours could not in the end benefit you. Wow. Think of that moment. Motherfucker has some balls. You want me to say motherfucker to you? <laughs> yeah. I Go think for it. This is what we were just mentioning not too long ago when I kind of brought up this question. What, what the heck does Laris want here? Because this is the, the exact moment I was referring to when he offers... Not, I didn't really offer her a service, but he says there's no reason why the hours I spent with your daughter can't benefit you as well. So it's like, is he is he trying to put pit the father against the daughter? Is he trying to help them both rise together? Is he trying to kind of get in both their good graces so he can screw them both over later on? It's really tough to figure out what the hell this guy wants, man. He is really a piece of work. Like, I, I in my opinion, I kind of see this is just my personal view right now and i know the direct story is you know this versus that but i kind of see larry's as like the true villain like he does some shady shit man but that's just my thought how do you see larry's he hasn't shown me anything good so far that's for sure uh you know he he set up his own father and his own brother for death when he made the deal with the prisoners in the dungeons below and cut their tongues out in return for their freedom if they burned down where uh, Sir Harwin and Lord Lionel Strong were and killed them. So if he's okay with killing his own father and his own brother and he's good at uh, bringing people, he's good at finding secrets out, bringing them before the hand of the king so they face punishment. Like, I just, I, he, he, don't, he doesn't seem that great. Uh, it's hard to say this is the true villain of the story, but he's definitely a key villain of the story, if nothing else. Absolutely. So uh, then at this moment, uh, sad moment here, Viserys' body is being prepared for the funeral, and Alicent places his crown on his body and then is just distraught. She's crying over it. And then Alicent informs Rhaenys that the king is dead and begins to ask for her support and visits her. Rhaenys <laughs> said, I will do you the considerable courtesy of assuming there is good reason for the outrage of my treatment here this morning. And Allison apologizes and says, my sincerest regrets for the lack of ceremony. Rainey's the king and you are ensuring, th are ensuring the throne. Uh, Allison. The, the, the word is usurping the throne. Uh, Unsurping. The usurping. Throne. Yeah. Usurping. So the, this is, this is a really big moment between Rainey's and, and Allison, honestly. And so when, when Rhaenys realizes what this whole issue is and why she's being locked away in her room and not able to leave is because she realizes, you know, that's what she says, the king, and you are usurping the throne. Alicent mentions, it was my husband's dying wish. And Rhaenys says, believe it or no, it is of no consequence. Aegon will be king. I came here to ask for your support. And Rhaenys replies to her, well, I must credit you for your boldness. And Alicent says, House Valarian has long allied itself with the Princess Rhaenyra, and what has it gained you? Your daughter dead, alone in Pentos. Your son cuckolded. Rhaenyra's heirs are none of yours. It is your husband who grasps so heedlessly for the throne, and even he has abandoned you, gone these six long years to fight a desperate battle, returning grievously if not mortally wounded, 
leaving the Lady of Driftmark to chart her course alone. And Rhaenys responds, The word of my house is not fickle. Allison says, No, but, dear cousin, you, more than any soul alive, understand what I say now. Princess Rhaenys, I loved my husband, but I will speak the truth we both know. You should have been queen. And Rhaenys responds, I little thought to hear those words from you. And Allison says, The Iron Throne is yours by blood and by temperament. Viserys would have loved his days a country lord, content to hunt and study his histories, but here we are. We do not rule, but we may guide the men that do. Gently, away from violence and sure destruction, and instead toward peace. And Rhaenys says, Is it in the name of peace that you've imprisoned me? And what of my dragon? Allison says, If we are overmatched, Rhaenyra will be tempted to strike us, and war will ensue. Without your dragon, she may be persuaded to negotiate. If it's Driftmark you want, you shall have it, for you and your granddaughters to pass on as you see fit. And Rhaenys says, You are wiser than I believed you to be, Alison Hightower. And Alison says, A true queen counts the cost to her people. And Rhaenys says, And yet you toil still in service to men, your father, your husband, your son. You desire not to be free, but to make a window in the wall of your prison. Have you ever imagined yourself on the Iron Throne? And Alison says, I'll leave it with your thoughts. Ring the bell when you have an answer. And I love how she left that, man. The whole ring the bell when you have an answer because, boy, does Rhaenyra ring the, or sorry, does Rhaenys ring the fucking bell, man. She rings a bell real, real heavy later on, I'll say that. So I'll go ahead and turn it back over to you, man. Yeah, no, that was great. Uh, so at this point, then we're back over to Kristen Cole. And he points out to Eamon that Otto, Eric, and Eric are meeting with the White Worm. And the White Worm we haven't seen in a while is Masaria. Let's fucking go! <laughs> I knew she wasn't on a rock somewhere. She was somewhere out there. But so uh, really intense conversation here. So Otto says, you yourself are the mysterious white worm, I take it. Or are you simply a further peel in the stinking onion? Masaria, my condolences on the passing of your king. And then she shows, uh, it shows she knows that they haven't told anyone yet. So like, how would she know this? Or something's going on. She's got some eyes on the inside. And Otto's shocked. And he commands Eric to take her uh, to take the bag of gold and hand it to her. And Otto says, uh, where is Prince Aegon? Masaria, I thought the prince was in Flea Bottom, where no one else is to be trusted. I'd best secret him somewhere safe in case they came looking for him. Otto, where is the prince? Masaria, he is safely tucked away. I want an end to the savage use of children in Flea Bottom. They are forced to fight in worse. Your gold cloaks take the bribes given to them and look away in obscenity, either tolerated or ignored by the crown. Otto, I'll look into it. You have my word. Masaria, when your plots ripen and you install your grandson on the throne, remember it was me who put him there. I could have killed him as easy as a wasp on a fruit. There is no power but what the people allow you to take. Otto, I will remember. What do you think uh, what do you think Otto meant by I will remember? Do you think he actually took that seriously? Or do you think there is a big almost like a double threat 
on the inside right now with Masaria. Oh, knowing Otto is probably a, a, a double threat. Like, you know, that was Masaria's way of letting her know he got to, she got to him, and he's letting her know subtly that he can get to her as well once he's in power. But right now he's, he, he has uh, got the short end of the stick. Stick. He, she knows where Aegon is. He doesn't. He needs to find her. And so she's kind of flexing her muscles right now and being like, look, remember, I'm the one that put your boy here. Like, without me, I could have killed him, and you guys would be in a real conundrum. So remember, the people allow you to take the power. Now, he'll probably remember that and try to punish her for it later on. So that's probably what I would say on that. And I just thought it was badass. I'm sorry I stood up to the, to the hand without any sort of issue at all. She's just a commoner and flea bottom, and she grew enough power there herself to be able to speak to the hand of the king like this as an equal. I thought that was pretty fucking cool. Yeah, I, I thought it was badass too. And it, uh, I, I think it really kind of, I don't want to say it sets Otto in his place, but it makes him shudder to an extent. Like, I don't think he really picked up on her as a threat at this moment. But it made him realize no one knows Aegon is missing. And, and no one uh, else knows that Viserys is dead. So that's like a big deal. But yeah, uh, pretty powerful moment there. But so then back to Eric and Eric. So they find Aegon under a table in a temple. Was it like, uh, what? I don't really know what that was. Can you explain what that was where they found him? Dude, I just said they found him underneath the candle table. That's all I put in my notes, <laughs> yeah, man. That's all I got. <laughs> um, but so then Eamon and Kristen Cole intercept them outside, though. And Cole fights one-on-one with the brothers while the others are watching from above. Cole, despite a difficult battle, though, disarms one of the Eric's and demands to know... Um, and, and demands to know where his brother is, the other Eric. Aemon then tackles Aegon to the ground and refuses to let him escape. And then Aegon does not wish to rule, but then offers to sail away on a ship. But Aemon refuses to let him go. And Kristen Cole says, the queen awaits. Aegon is desperate to not do this shit, man. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. Let me just take this back to this whole part. Because... Eric does, Kristen Cole doesn't demand to know where his brother Eric is. He's like, where is your brother? As in, like, why isn't he helping you? Because this is a big part. The other Eric is starting to realize that maybe his talents could be used elsewhere outside of King's Landing. I'll say that. Like, uh, that he didn't assist his brother at any point in time. The two of them could have easily defeated Kristen Cole alone. Right, and it couldn't have been two on two because at that point Aegon escapes. So Aemon was gonna be responsible for grabbing and holding his brother, and Kristen Cole's gotta fight these two alone. No, like that—that's that's all bad news for Kristen Cole. So when he asked, so "Where's your brother?" It was more like, "Why isn't he helping you?" And you saw it from the balcony or the, the the upper area where he was, he looked down on the fight and purposely walked away. Huge moment, really big, because that's gonna come a big, especially next week. Um, so that's definitely something I wanted to make sure we got right there. And then on top of that too, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about where you said that Eamon wasn't going to let him go. I disagree. I think Eamon was very close to letting him go until Sir Kristen Cole disarmed Eric and, and was already there in a flash before he had to, had time to make the decision to let him go. I think he was persuading him, and I think he really thought about letting Aegon go so he could be king. I think that was a very, very close uh, eventuality. 
in that area because you could see him stop and really think about it, and he loosened up his grip on Aegon and then Chris and Cole was right there after he got done with that one-on-one with uh, Sir Eric with an A. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if I buy that one. <laughs> but uh, I'll take your word for it. I mean, I saw what you were talking about, but I just can't. I mean, after searching through this whole thing, he's just going to let him go. Like, what's he going to say? He just sailed off to nowhere? Or then he's going to say he died in combat, which then Kristen Cole's not going to buy that. So that's my only problem with that one. I mean, to think about it, like this, it was about what Aegon said to him. Aegon said... I have no wish to rule, no taste for duty, I'm not suited. And Aemon says, you'll get no argument from me. And he says, you let me go. I'll find a ship and sail away, never to be found. Like, that's like, like he like and at that point, he's like, well, shit, maybe this could work. <laughs> like, Aemon's thinking to himself, and he stops. He's like, like, like before uh, he really is able to do anything, Kirsten Cole cuts in and says, the queen awaits. So I, I think he really was considering it, letting him go, and just being like, ah, he got the best of me, tripped me up, and he started running and couldn't get him, damn it. <laughs> like, I definitely think that that was... Uh, uh, very strong present thought in Aegon or Aemon's mind after Aegon told him a good pl- not a good plan but like could definitely make it look like it was Aegon's fault not his fault for letting him go could be could be I'll give you that one I'll give you that one <laughs> I'll give you that so at this point then Otto puts a wax seal on a letter as he welcomes Alicent and Otto just says well played Alicent none of this is a game Otto, and yet you treat it as one, a charming contest, the prize, a pouch of silver. We have relied on one another these many years, and now it is the good of the family that we both desire. Whatever our differences, our hearts remain as one. Allison, our hearts were never one. I see that now. Rather, I have been at peace that you have moved about the board. I have been at peace that you have moved about the board. Otto, if that is true... Then I made you queen of the seven kingdoms. Would you have desired it otherwise? Allison, how could I? I how could I? I wanted whatever you impressed upon me to want. And now the debt comes to due. A debt you were happy enough to pay. Otto, a sacrifice. A sacrifice made for the stability of the realm. No king has ever lived that hasn't had to forfeit the lives of a few to protect the many. Though so understand your squeam though so understand your squeamishness. Allison, reluctance to murder is not a weakness. I have Aegon. We will proceed now as I see fit. We will send terms to Rhaenyra on Dragonstone, true terms, such such that she may accept without shame. Otto, if she lives, her allies will mass behind her banners, looking for her return. Allison and she must not return. My husband would have desired this mercy he's shown to his daughter. Otto, your husband, or you his daughter's childhood companion. Alicent, Kristen Cole will be named Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. My son will be anointed tomorrow at dawn. The whole of King's Landing must witness his ascent. He will assume authority. There will be more... uh, there will be more. My son will take the crown of his namesake, the Conqueror, and carry Blackfire his sword. Let the people remember the ancient strength of House Targaryen. Otto, you look so much like your mother in certain lights. And then Alicent leaves, and Otto says, as you wish. Very creepy here, but it also kind of shows... Uh, I think this is the moment where... I don't want to say... Allison kind of won over her father, but maybe in a way Otto is trying starting to support her more 
because she just beat her father at his own game. What do you think about this? Yeah, I agree. I think he, she earned his respect a lot. And he even has to agree with her. He says at the end, as you wish, that you are the one that holds all the cards. You've got Aegon. You're making the rules because you, you, you got to him before I did. You, you played the game well. You know, she's, he even told her, you know, even though you, she, he, you don't think it's a game, you treat it as one. And I think, yeah, I really believe that uh, she earned his respect for, like you mentioned, pretty much beating him at his own game. And then we kind of move into this next part that's a little bit interesting with Alicent leaving her father's area. And I I was going to go through this because this is a little bit um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, this is weird. So, go for it, man. She storms out and, you know, she like pours herself some wine and then Laris calls to her from behind. He tells her that he found out something that she should know. But it was it's interesting here because he's kind of teetering around the information and before he tells her, like he looks down at the ground and she removes her shoes and she puts like her feet up on the table with like stockings on and they're in his line of sight. And he tells her that Otto found Aegon first because there is a web of spies at work in the Red Keep that carry news of all their doings and that Otto knows this but has left it in place. He tells her it has proved advantageous to those willing to feed the weaver. And she asks if the weaver watches her. And he's not answering. And she realizes he wants her to do something. So she pulls her stockings off. And now she has her feet on the table. He then tells her that Talia is one of the spiders. They're spies. And that he tells her they're more like Talia. But even he doesn't know how many. He tells her there is one way to destroy Otto's advantage and that it must be taken out the head meaning the white worm needs to be killed and Lara says when the queen dies the bees fly without purpose and Allison asks him I assume this task falls within your expertise and Lara says if you wish it it will be done and then she moves over to the side props her feet up on the couch while he grabs his hand puts it in his pants and starts touching himself and she's allow- <laughs> and she allows him to do this and his whole business while she looks away. And so at this point, the scene cuts away from that and the camera pans to all the major players in the red keep. It starts going from one to the other. We see Aegon, then we see Otto, then we see Aemon, then we see Alicent, then we see Rhaenys. It's cool how they, they like, went to all the major players that are, that are in, in play right now in this moment. And then... At, when it gets to Rhaenys, the camera stays on Rhaenys, and we hear a scuffle, and her door bursts open. Like I was mentioning before, there is Sir Eric with an E, with a traveling cloak on, and he is holding one out to Rhaenys. And Sir Eric with an E says, With me, princess, I cannot let this treachery stand. So I'll let you take it from there, but I really want to take that part, because that's what I was mentioning in the beginning. That's why he didn't help his brother out, because he realized he was on the wrong team, baby. Yeah, yeah, I knew that was coming. <laughs> no, that is true though. Yeah, so uh, yeah, he had a sense of uh, sense of guilt. <laughs> but yeah, so after that, so then uh, Rainey's leaves and they attempt to escape through the Red Keep. I wanted to mention that because that's cool. Because not only have we seen Rhaenyra go through there, we've seen Arya go through there. This fucking Red Keep keeps popping, popping up, man. Talk about full circle moments. And did you and see? 
Oh, were you going to say this part? I was going to say, did you see yeah, what was... Yeah, I was, was about to go say ahead, it. You go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, nope, it's all you. Uh, remember I kept mentioning Caswell. Well, he is hung by the neck dead on the castle wall as they pass. And so. you know what's really crazy about this, too? This is a full circle moment, guys. If you remember from episode five when she was carrying her baby up the stairs, Rhaenyra with Sir Lanor carrying up the stairs to bring her baby to Alicent, the third one, Joffrey, the third baby, Joffrey. Uh, Lord Caswell goes to her and says, if I may be of any service, and Rhaenyra says, the day may come yet, Lord Caswell, and the day has come. He died in service to Rhaenyra Targaryen. What a great full circle moment, and uh, it was beautiful, man. It's beautiful stuff. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, so then uh, Eric helps her escape past Balery on the Dread and, of course, out the same tunnels. And then you see a hooded figure burns Missaria's house in Flea Bottom. Did you see that? Sure did. That's what I even said, too. I said, like, after uh, Rhaenys and him passed the big skull, uh, you know, of, of Balerion the Dread. And I also thought this was interesting because Rhaenys stops for a minute and pauses and looks at the huge skull. And I thought that was a little bit of a foreshadow yeah. was coming. But anyways, to your point is... When Rhaenys asks, where are we? Sir Eric says, just south of King's Way. The Blackwater is this way. The camera pans and we see a building on fire. And it's a very familiar building that we saw Talia approach the White Worm and tell her uh, some news. So the White Worm's building is on fire. But I always say, you never assume someone's dead till you see the body. There is no body at this point in time. So who knows? But uh, yes, I saw that as well. Exactly. So what I took from this, tell me if this is wrong... But this means Allison, you know, clearly Larry's is having this taken care of. You see, like it could be that, or it could be Otto when you were mentioning as well too. Like I, if I'm a betting person, I'll say Allison. But like you mentioned, I think this that would be a perfect opportunity for Otto to be like, well, I can still get to you too. You think you're all this? Like you know, now that I've got Aegon, we've got Aegon. Now you're a loose end that is a problem. I can I can tie this up here as well. So it could have been Allison, but it could have also been Otto. I probably would put my money towards Allison because we just had that weird scene where he where Lars told her about it while he's having <laughs> some fun. I'll say that. Um, so it's likely Allison that commanded Lars to take care of it. But I don't think we should just discount the fact that it could potentially be Otto as well because he had that little run-in with her before and she found Aegon before anybody. Wouldn't that be a wild fucking flip of the switch? Everyone thinks it's because Alicent like, informed Larry's and they found out like it's already been taken care of. That would be wild as shit. Talk about playing chess match and then Alicent would be put in her place like scared stiff against her own father. That would be wild, man. So uh, then back to where we're at here. So Rainey's tells Eric that uh, they should get to the dragon pit to save Maylees, to get to Maylees. Um, but she says she can find a ship from there and then escape to the Riverlands because they will expect her. But he says she won't make it past the gates of, of where the dragon pit is and get there. Um, so then they're on the way to Aegon's celebration and uh, Aegon argues with Alicent that Viserys did not ever want him to be heir because he never liked him. And Alicent says, have the decency to look grateful. Do you know what has been done to give you this day? In an hour, you will be king. Aegon, and my father never wanted this. Alicent, that's not true. He had 20 years to make me heir and never did. Steadfastly, he upheld Rhaenyra's claim. Alicent, he changed his mind. Aegon, he could have, he could have, 
But he never did because he didn't like me, Allison. And yet in his final breath, he whispered to me that you should take his place on the throne. Did he? Did he say that? <laughs> did he say that though? And then Allison um, shows Aegon the cat's paw dagger and picks it up. And then Aegon says, do not toy with me, mother. Allison says, listen to me, Aegon. Your grandfather, the hand, will try to impress on you that Rhaenyra should be put to the sword. You must reject this counsel. We must not rule with cruelty and callousness. For all the fortunes, she is your sister. You're your father's daughter. Aegon, do you love me? And Allison says, you imbecile. Do you think in this moment, do you think Aegon actually started to believe it when he saw the Caspaw dagger? I don't know. It's it's hard to say because he was so steadfastly believing that it was not what Viserys wanted that I don't know how the dagger really makes him believe anything because if he's smart enough to realize that, that Viserys could have done this this entire time and made him king about half a dozen times already and he's stuck by Rhaenyra's side he's probably smart enough to know that after he died they could have just grabbed his dagger and gave it to him so like either he's the smartest dumb guy in the world or the dumbest smart guy in the world if he really does but I don't know man it's tough to, tough, tough to call yeah so then Rainey's moves with the crowd into the Sept of Baylor we've seen that before in season 6 <laughs> Game of Thrones anyway so then Otto announces in the Sept of Baylor that Viserys is dead and then whispered in his final wish that Aegon should succeed him. Then the guards present arms, and Aegon walks in under the guards' swords, dressed in Hightower green. What a full circle moment that is. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then walks up to the top of the stairs. Aegon is then crowned with Aegon the Conqueror's crown, just like you know the dream that Viserys was having. And Rainy slowly makes her way through the crowd and then into a tunnel on a so on the side. And you don't know where this is going, but you can see her there if you look close. Septon Eustace says, May the warrior give him courage. May the smith lend strength to his sword and shield. May the father defend him in his need. May the crown lift her shining lamp and light his way to wisdom. May the crown lift her shining lamp and light his way to wisdom. And then Kristen Cole lifts up the Conqueror's crown. And Kristen Cole says, The crown of the Conqueror passed down through generations, places it upon Aegon's head. Let the Sept bear witness Aegon Targaryen is the true heir to the Iron Throne. And then he puts it on Aegon's head. And I thought this was interesting. It had that red ruby on it. And, you know, in our episodes before, we've talked about, like, the red rubies going everywhere with Rhaegar. So it's cool because you haven't really seen that recently. But... Septon Eustace says, All hail his grace, Aegon, second of his name, king of the Andals and the Rhaenar and the first men, lord of the seven kingdoms and the protector of the realm. And then they're all cheering Aegon's name, and he doesn't know what to think at first. It's almost like he's in shock. But then he grabs Blackfire and then raises it, and it's like he begins to enjoy the power. What did you think? Do you think this is what motivates him to like, kind of want to be king? Is it like just this drive for the moment and power what do you think so i think one of the core characteristic traits of aegon the second here is that he never felt like he was cared for or loved and he almost seemed as if he felt like 
he asked he even had to ask his mom if if she loved him and before that mentioned that Viserys didn't like him his own father so he's questioning the love from his own parents and just didn't seem like he got the level of adoration and care and emotional support that you would expect passed down from you know parents to children and so when he takes the center stage and he grabs Aegon the Conqueror's sword Blackfire raises in the air and he's got Aegon the Conqueror's crown on and everyone's cheering his name and they love him and they're praising him he's he gets this feeling of this rush he he's never had he's feeling for the first time and he he's like thinking fuck hell yeah i could get used to this shit <laughs> like yeah that, that's that's what i think man yeah i agree absolutely so at this point big explosion occurs and Maley's burst beneath the bottom of the septa baler boards go everywhere People are dying, getting hit with the dragon's tail. It's like screeching. And then Rainey's is on top of Amelie's. And she goes right up to Aegon in the crown. And Alicent stands in front of Aegon, almost like to protect him in a way. I don't know what the fuck she was thinking, like how she's going to protect him. But then it's like she stops. Like you think Amelie's is about to burn everyone to the ground, incinerate the whole shit in the entire shit right here, and it just roars right in front of Alicent. Spit goes everywhere. You can see the gnashing of its teeth and fangs, and just the wind is blowing Alicent's hair back, and she's prepared to die at this point with the rest of the group. And then Rainey's looks at Alicent and stops. And then Rainey's turns around with Maylees and then flies off to warn Rhaenyra. And then remember Helena's prediction, beware the beast beneath the boards. And it has come true. And the episode ends. What are your takeaways from that episode, my man? So I, for me, it was a really cool episode because we mentioned this seems to be like the peak of the Greens plans and... It seemed like a pretty good plan overall. They've got Aegon. They, they were able to snatch him away from the white worm with the promise that they would look into the children fighting pits and with the promise that, hey, we'll remember that the people are the ones that, that put you there. Because it almost reminds us, hey, the power is always in the like the hands of the people who, who put you in power. So that was a cool like little life lesson type of deal. But on top of that, to see all of the, all of the chess being played, it was interesting. It was like both Otto and Allison were playing chess against Rhaenyra, but also playing chess against each other. <laughs> like it was, it was a really weird, interesting like entanglement that involved everyone, Rhaenys included. You know, and then even Helena had mentioned a few times, mentioned at that dinner back in episode eight, there was a beast beneath the boards, and then then this episode two earlier, beware of the beast beneath the boards, and then. She outside the fucking floorboards, the damn dragon appears and could have incinerated all the greens and just ended the entire war before anything ever started if it was going to start. And, you know, that could have been at the end of it right there. It was, just, it was a cool thing with a lot of action, a lot of moving pieces. Tough to pay attention to, to really kind of grasp all of the, the people that are coming into play. Loris is making himself valuable by, you know, supposedly well he did give up the white worm in terms of like letting allison know that the white worm exists and then someone tried to take her out because her house is burning down then we got the two erics eric with an e and eric with an a eric with an e is like hey you know what this is all bullshit like this shouldn't be happening i'm out of here i'm taking rainies with me then he gets separated from rainies you know so we just have all these things going and then like you had mentioned before and we should have kind of spotlighted it a little bit 
when they are laying Viserys to rest, the, the Silent Sisters, and she puts that, that crown on his the body... Well, that crown ends up going somewhere. I ain't gonna say nothing, but like that comes into play too. And now we got Aegon the Second on the throne. He's got Aegon the Conqueror's crown, Aegon the Conqueror's sword, and it, it, just a lot of cool shit happened overall. And it was a great mix of keeping you thinking, but also keeping you excited with the action. You got Lord Caswell swinging from the gallows. You got you got some other <laughs> ones that didn't want to swear fealty to. King Aegon, or I guess at that time he was Prince Aegon, but now he's King Aegon, right? <laughs> According to them, so it was just, it was a little bit of everything in this episode, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, and so if I'm going to go ahead and give it a, a rating scale from a 1 to 10, outside of little small silly things here and there, I'm going to give this bad boy a 9.7 out of 10, and those are my takeaways yeah. and my overall grade on a scale 1 to 10, like I said. 9.7 man what about you that's impressive man I, I haven't seen you give something that high in a really long time <laughs> so that, that's like impressive I, I, I that's really impressive yeah i loved it i thought it was excellent um i really loved the great race aspect from it you know they were kind of ironic too right because you have the two that are usually working with each other but now they're working against each other to get to a common cause that was badass um, I do like that Allison finally stuck up for herself against her own people. That was fucking badass. Um, and you have like all these moving pieces. You had the action. You had Beesbury's head smashed on the table to open the episode. Like, holy shit. Sir Harold stood up. And then you have like the major pieces are like breaking apart, picking sides. And it's setting up all pieces to this big chess game. That you're really having which is really this whole series is a big ass chess game um and then at the same time with that then you know you had the whole masaria thing like talk about a blast from the past we haven't seen her in like forever and secretly she's been playing this important role the whole time which is clearly going to be playing a big role next season with everything going on so uh, really great stuff and then at that point right when you thought hey maybe this will slow down you have this whole thing going on with larry's you saw masaria's house burn you don't know who it is and then right as Aegon's getting crowned king you have fucking melees burst through the boards which professor treeliney helena style her dream comes true and then you think it's like, oh, shit, like, Rainey's is, like, saving the day here. What the fuck is going to go on? And she just, like, stops. So a uh, very wild uh, episode here, and um, it it was awesome. Uh, yeah, I'll go to 9.72, man. I think I, I thought it was great. Then to add the action that you you had kind of mentioned just a little bit, we had the little cool sword battle between Chris and Cole and uh, Sir Eric with an A. You know, that yeah. was that was kind of cool, a little one-on-one duel there. Then you have that little, hey, will he, won't he let his brother go so Aemon himself could be king? Like, I don't know, man. Like, there was some cool shit in this episode. So, yeah, I, I think we're all on the same page. If it was one of the better ones that uh, we saw this this whole go-round. But uh, I guess to kind of jump into debates, I'll go ahead and kick us off. Uh, the debate sure. that I have today is I just want to, like, talk about the execution of the plans debating like those in terms of like what did you like about the execution of the plans what do you think went wrong whose side are you taking and this is just for like the green side of stuff like forget about Rhaenyra right now over on 
Dragonstone. Just about what we saw here in Episode 9, and the execution of this whole plan to put Aegon on the, the throne. Talk me through your thoughts of that, of like who you think did the best, who's in a good position of power, who rose their station, who kind of fell off their station a little bit, if you think anything of those natures. Just go ahead and go talk about your side when you think about how these plans are executed for the Greens. Great question. Um, I think Allison did the honorable thing. That's what I would have done. Um, and I think she did it in... Uh, I think she made a good decision in sending Eamon with Kristen Cole because she knew he had a close relationship with Aegon and knowing that even being a mother, that they can probably find him faster. I thought that was very smart. However... I think the mistake she made was having him crowned in front of everyone in the Sept of Baylor. Because then everyone knows where Aegon is, so then you had this situation with Rainey's. She could have burned that whole shit to the ground. So, if you're Otto, it made me almost think, yeah, his way was fucked up. I don't agree with it at all. I wouldn't have done that way, but maybe he would have had him crowned in secret while not even trying to make negotiations, right? And just try to fuck everyone over, which, you know, there's no nice people in a situation like this. So uh, I think the mistake Allison made was having him crowned in the Sept of Baylor. Um, but I think she was very smart with Kristen Cole and Eamon. However, Kristen Cole and Eamon really got fucking lucky that they just happened to waltz up on the white worm so that's actually more of like a mistake there so i'm gonna put them i'm gonna put them tied i think they both made very smart choices but at the same time they both made big mistakes because i think otto in a way overlooked Missaria, the white worm which clearly he knew about before i think allison wasn't really even thinking about situations like the white worm um, and I think Alicent also shouldn't have had him crowned in front of everyone if you're trying to actually do this secretly and get it done. Um, it, it's very tough to say. I'm going to put them at a tie one and one. Like, I don't think it was a perfect plan by all means. However, I don't think they made necessarily stupid decisions. I just think they didn't account for all their obstacles at the time. What do you think? So... It's going to be interesting to go through this a bit because I honestly think it's the smartest thing that she could have done is getting Aegon crowned in front of everyone so everyone can see him and have the visual optics of Aegon as king and they can kind of spread that throughout the realm. Oh, Aegon was just crowned king because that's what they need. They need the realm to believe it and so that way that it leads credibility to them versus they, they crown him in secret. Who the fuck's going to think anything of it? He's going to come out one day, have his crown on, be like, hey, I'm making rules? Like, I don't I don't know how that goes. So <laughs> in my mind, I think they did the smartest thing. Now, the location of where they crowned him, probably not the smartest. Don't want to do that above the dragon pit. That's kind of silly. Like, like, obviously, we see why, because Rhaenys makes a decision and decides to, to risk it and try to find her dragon down there, and then... Like you mentioned, old Helena's thoughts and dreams came true as she come bursting up the damn floorboard. And then you got to think what the hell Rhaenys was thinking. Because 
obviously, if she was going to take Rhaenyra's side regardless, and she was going to go fly off and tell Rhaenyra and take her side regardless, why not just fucking end the shit there? <laughs> like, just burn the fuckers and go back there and, hey, guys, <laughs> I just did this for you. Get on there. Take your throne. Like, you know what I mean? Like, do something. But, you know, she just looks at them, roars, and flies the fuck off. So, it's like... She could have made herself a really big piece of like the chess game, and she already did in a way because she's the one that ended up informing uh, Rhaenyra that that uh, what 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 happens next episode. But whole point is like she could have ended stuff there, so she played her cards right. She probably could have got everything a lot easier than what they're gonna end up fighting for, anyways. Eventually, like if you're gonna if it's gonna come to this, regardless, like you know what I mean. Like I don't know, man. So I kind of upset with Rhaenys there and realized that. While she made a good play in terms of escaping and and alerting the proper people, you really could have done a lot more. And then you think about Alicent, and it's like, yeah, it's you don't ever want to see your childhood friends like massacred, talking about how they were going to put Rhaenyra and Damon and the kids to the sword. But it's very similar to what Tywin Lannister said in Game of Thrones to Tyrion when they complained about the Red Wedding. He's like, is it more noble to kill... 13 people at dinner versus you know hundreds of thousands in the field you know so it's like yeah what we would do here because i kind of see auto side like listen there's gonna be zero challenge whatsoever if we just kill these you know what say six seven people tops right so you kill six seven people we're saving an entire realm from war and, and hundreds of thousands of families from dying so you kind of get that side of stuff but then you kind of get the morality piece of it and it's like well no like let's try to make a peaceful resolution first so they're contradicting each other but wanting the same outcome of Aegon on the damn throne and then we have like you mentioned there, the amazing race we got the amazing race running, <laughs> running on I guess like NBC's up in here or something but we got uh, we got that going on and it's they made, each of them picked the right people for the jobs Allison got Chris and Cole and Aemon the two people that are around from the queen's side Aegon the most and then on the hand side, the two guards, Eric and Eric, who are supposed to protect him at all times. So you got the right people going, so they're making the right plans. And it just happens to be that Sir Chris Cole is a better swordsman than Sir Eric with an A. Because if Sir Eric with an A was better, we're having a different conversation because Aegon's getting brought over to, to fucking Otto first. So we're having this whole thing. And it, it's so funny because both Allison and Otto know that if they get Aegon, it's fine because that kid's such an idiot that they can tell him anything. He's just going to do it. Like, they didn't have any thought that maybe he's just going to disagree with all you fuckers and not do anything you all want him to do. They're like, nah, nah, we got to find him because we can just tell him what to do and he's just going to fucking do it. <laughs> so, like, then we got to think about Laris coming into play here, doing something for Otto, and, and, and mentioned and saying, hey, like, my services can benefit you too. Like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know what I mean? And then he's also plotting with the queen and her feet over there, <laughs> making sure that, you know, he's, he's making himself indispensable with her. And so it's just, it's a really interesting of who is in the lead of, of where. And I think at the end of this episode, and I'm not just going to put it between Alice and Otto. Like, I really think that Laura's kind of put himself in a really good position. I think that, that Allison did about as good of a job as he could, but Rainey's really is the one that kind of takes the cake here. Just simply because she could have ended the war before it started. And on top of that, she was able to escape her room with the help of Sir Eric with an E. And then instead of running away, she made it, she took it upon herself to blend in with the crowd, go down the dragon pit, burst that shit out, and make her way out of there and, and, and go fly off. So 
of all the fucking plans, hers was the one that took the least amount of thought and just was a reaction and ended up getting big, being the most important going forward. So I'm giving I'm giving the trophy to Ray Nice here with the execution of plans, man. I absolutely cannot give the trophy to Rainey's for execution of plans because she could have ended it right there. Her execution was absolutely awful. I would fail her on execution because she should actually, she just got a 69 is what she got. She would have passed with flying colors if she had burned them out, (laughs) but she didn't. She, a D is passing. That's why I said that. (laughs) But uh, point being is no, she fucking failed. She could have burned them all to the ground right there, and she decided not to. Now, I think the this actually leads me into my debate, which I'm going to throw this back at you here. Why the fuck do you think she didn't burn everyone to the ground? Well, we hear what her stupid explanation is next episode. <laughs> and I don't think it's going to ruin terribly too much if we mention it here, but she said it wasn't my war to start. First off, bitch, it wouldn't have been a fucking start to the war, but the fucking end of the war. Because, <laughs> yeah, like, exactly, like yeah. that, there ain't nobody left. You, you kill the hand, the second brother, the sister, the king, and the queen, and the lord commander. They were all standing at the same exact area. Now, obviously, the show couldn't do that. And I think it's also really important to notate, and we'll talk about this and I think two weeks when we do a little bit of a, a compare and contrast between the passages in Fire and Blood that align with uh, season one here of House of the Dragon. But this actually never happens in Fire and Blood. This is a complete addition yeah. by, right. by the show. So I think it was a really cool addition. I'm, like, I'm a really big fan of the yeah. addition. But the, the fact of the matter is, Rhaenys was not there. They did not bust through the door, the, through the floor with the <laughs> dragon in Fire and Blood in, in this in moment, in this instance. So... Like, we knew that it had to continue forward, especially since how that just never happened. And this was a, a purely cool addition from, like, the screenwriters. That, that's awesome. I enjoy that. But I, in terms of, like, why she didn't burn him, like, I think her reasoning is dumb. But I think we had to have the fun of, you know, having yeah. these things go, go toe-to-toe, right? I think that was all this, what this is all leading up to, the greens and the blacks. But what I say is, and why I still give Rainey's the trophy here is because regardless of her not burning them to the ground and not killing them and, you know, letting them live. Without Rhaenys, what, when the fuck does Rhaenyra find out <laughs> that Viserys is dead? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. she's got no idea. So, and maybe you think that Sir Eric with the E swims his way over there or whatever and maybe ends up telling her eventually. But you know how long that's going to take on boat or on foot to go from King's Landing to Dragonstone? It took... I don't know, Rainey's three hours on Dragonback, quick twelve thousand quick little flappy flaps of the wing, and she's she's on dra- she's on Dragonstone already. So that ga- that would have gave him so much more time to plan, so much more time to solidify, and so much more time to reach out to the other kingdoms, like you know, like like the 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 north. They could have got Storm's End. They could have got the Valley. Could have they could have sent out all these ravens before Rhaenyra even knew that her dad was dead without Rainey's. So, Rhaenys, regardless if she killed these fuckers or didn't kill them, without her doing what she did, the Greens would have an insurmountable head start. And that's why we're giving, I'm giving Rhaenys the, the trophy here with these plans. Because on top of it, she had no time to think about it. it she, she threw the shit together on the fly. It's like, shit, I'm just going to wing it and see what happens. So, you know what? For a slapstick plan, it wasn't so bad. So, I'm going to give her the trophy this day. <laughs> 
So why do you think it is that Allison wasn't able to convince her? It almost reminds me of remember, like maybe it's just because she's so ground loyal, which is good. But remember when she made that quote to Rhaenyra and said, tomorrow the Greens land their first blow and I will stand alone. And she wasn't going to back Rhaenyra. But then Viserys comes in. Rhaenys all of a sudden is just like, instantly like you know it'll go to Lysari's like instantly like like not even thought about it like instantly was with Rhaenyra whereas here uh it's like she kind of like she didn't side with Allison ever but I think she took uh she felt sorry for her in a way and then she instead of burning everyone to the ground she's still like, went the other direction. Like, do you think maybe Allison had some influence on it? What's the deal? Why do you think she reacts on impulse? What's your deal? I think she was pissed that she trapped her in that fucking room. <laughs> I think she was mad. <laughs> I think she was mad as hell. She tried to open the door. She locked in there. What the hell? I can't get out of here. So I think she took offense to the fact that she was trapped in there. And I think she also took offense that she was given an ultimatum and that she didn't really have much of a choice in the matter. And I, like I had mentioned, I was waiting for this exact moment because her Allison's last words to Rhaenys before she left the room were, ring the bell when you have an answer. Well, ding motherfucking dong, her answer's a dragon in your fucking face. That's her answer. So uh, I thought that was badass. Um, but anyways, man, like, I don't know, dude. Like, I, I just really think she probably took offense to that. Didn't like being given an ultimatum. She's not used to being the one not in control or not in power uh, of the situation. She also probably realized that, you know, not, I wouldn't say jealousy played a factor, but, you know, she herself could have been ruling queen if people had voted for her. And now all of a sudden, Allison's kind of taking the reins here. Maybe she thought, maybe she had a little bit of a feeling towards that, a little bit of respect because she mentioned, you know, she gave her respect for it, but maybe a little bit of like, well, shit, if I can't do it, why the fuck should you be able to do it? <laughs> like, you know, not saying that Allison was trying to take the throne for herself and be ruling queen, but the fact is, like, she was mentioning that she's going to almost play over, but like, we're going to guide the men that do rule or whatever. So I don't fucking know, dude. It's hard for me to put my, my, my mind inside her mind as to why Allison couldn't get through to her. But also, you know, she's the only, like, you know, Rhaenys is a Targaryen and a Valarian, and Rhaenyra is a Targaryen. You know, and and then Aaron, I guess, because I think uh, Emma was from the the, the Vale of Aaron. So like, she's a Targaryen. Rhaenys is a, and Rhaenyra are both Targaryens, and Allison's a fucking Hightower. Like, I don't know. Maybe she felt some sort of uh, loyalty to the name Targaryen. Who fucking knows? And she probably probably didn't slip her mind either. That interesting. The the king was alive, and now all of a sudden he's dead, and he changed his mind on the last night of his life. Probably didn't slip her mind there. She's like, you probably fucking killed him. <laughs> like, you know, so uh, those are probably some of the things that, that uh, you know, if I were a guessing person or if I could read minds, that would be the closest I could get. Yeah, I agree, man. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of is maybe she's just so loyal to the Targaryen house. And, you know, uh, in the words of Lord Varys... <laughs> You know, the gods flip a coin <laughs> with, with Targaryen. So maybe that's kind of what she does. <laughs> maybe she just flips a coin on her decision. I don't know, man. But yeah, that's that's all I have for today. Did you have anything else? No, I don't have anything else on my end. So I'll go ahead and take it and kind of close this out for the day. Guys, uh, if this is your first time listening to us, we really hope you enjoy what you heard. Uh, hope you 
stick around for the future. If you have been here since the very beginning, thank you for continuously being the shields that guard the realms of fantasy. And if you're looking to figure out where you can follow us on social media, well, we're on Instagram at official ridiculous Patronus. We're at TikTok at ridiculous Patronus. We're on our backup Instagram at fact underscore or underscore fantasy backup TikTok at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. We are on Facebook, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. We're on YouTube, Ridiculous Patronus. We are on uh, Snapchat, RP Factor Fantasy, Twitter, RP Factor Fantasy, and we do have our own website as well, ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. So go ahead and click like, subscribe, and follow along there. And then when it comes to the podcast itself, if you're looking to figure out where you can listen to us, if you're an Apple user, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and on iTunes. If you're an Android user, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Google Play. We're on Amazon Music. We're on iHeartRadio, we're on Audible, Stitcher, Acast, Podbean, our host site. Anywhere you get your podcast, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy are there. So we really would like it if you guys could go ahead. It really helps us out when you write out written reviews on Apple Podcasts or you put star review ratings on Spotify. Please go ahead and do that if you haven't done so already. We really do appreciate it. And this has been a fun one today. But we are out for the day because you know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing off.